A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. And welcome back to In Vino, the podcast that covers all things Australian wine. As usual, I'm here with our sommelier, Mark and Patrick. Hello. Hello. It's hey. good to be back. It is. It is very good to be back. Um, so this week, we're talking about Australian Riesling and some interesting contrast between traditional and unconventional winemaking methods. And I've been reminded by the others that apparently last week I said that wrong. What do you mean? Well, apparently I said the difference between traditional and conventional, not traditional and unconventional. Ooh. A couple of letters, big difference. Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, we have a couple of Rieslings here to try, courtesy um, of those guys over at Different Drop. And I think we're going to start with a fairly traditional Riesling. Um, it's from the Canberra region. Um, they grow their, gra- their own grapes over there, but they make the wine in the out of the famous Clonakilla winery. Yeah, Clonakilla is really famous uh, for their red wine. Actually, all their wines are, are wonderful, but... Their Shiraz Viognier is something that's known around the world. Yeah, um, so it's a kind of fairly traditional um, winemaking methods on this on this Riesling, but it's still got that handcrafted kind of feel. Um, yeah, what do we think? Well, I guess the first thing that catches you is the nose on this wine. Like it's got a really beautiful floral note to it. I didn't actually say the name of the wine, by the way. It's a 2019 Ravensworth Riesling. Very good. And what you do is, like Ben said, this is made in the conventional style. It's actually using Riesling grapes from two different vineyards. So this is something that they use to add that little bit of texture and flavour profile to the wine. But it is really classic. It's got that very, very strong citric acid. And it's got quite a nice little finish on it. But the biggest thing, I guess, with conventional Riesling is that it's meant to be have had with food. Mm. That really, really strong acid is not something that's meant to be enjoyed on its own. So you think about nice, rich, like creamy seafoods like our Morton Bay bugs. It's mm-hmm. trying to steal my food tip oh, segment sorry, too. Man. That's okay. That's Good okay. Like we don't have See, any you know, food. I've got a we special just have to fantasize about Morton Bay bugs. We do. Yeah, we're all bugs. really hungry. Um, well, what are you going to recommend? What I was going to recommend was a was an Indian curry. Oof. Something that's really interesting with with a riesling is the riesling has that kind of structure and the, the the acid to hold up against spicy food and um, something like a lamb vindaloo or a, a lamb rogan josh one of those kind of interesting kind of Indian spicy curries the the riesling um, really holds up really nicely so that would be my food pairing tip to try you're insane yeah well it works it's interesting it is it is it is you think about citric acid and think what like it basically cuts through everything so like ben said with a really nice rich curry nice seafood but think about things that have great weight and kind of coat your mouth mm. and then you think Cuts about the acid it. you think about the acid almost as like a mouthwash or a cleanser yeah yeah and that's why we drink and that's why we'll have it like with an entree that's really got some really is strong that why we drink really? flavors <laughs> potentially <laughs> but this is the thing as well some people just enjoy riesling on its own they really yeah, like that yeah. kind of almost sourness and that acid yeah, kind i quite of like taste. it it's got that kind of green apple that crispy kind of like nice sour and sour flavors in there as well i quite like it on its own mm. yeah and well, i quite we, like the texture as you well, mentioned right? before we started recording an effervescence i, I, I did, did mention you? it and an I, I see totally what you mean by now it, it almost feels like there's a tiny amount of carbonation in this but and there is also none. there could be i mean that's the thing is that the winemaking method we we actually carbon dioxide is created as as the grapes ferment mm. and so sometimes it is potential for for um that carbon dioxide to build up in the bottle and create 
um, almost that kind of and that's look we feel. almost get that feeling of a, a tingle on the tongue if yeah. you like mm. of also effervescence that's what we could call racy acidity in that the acid's like literally flying down your tongue and that's where you're feeling these little flavors popping up mm. and that's go. also what gives you that kind of uh not illusion but that kind of representation of effervescence the evocation mm. i think shrep's coined the name of the shrepovescence yeah, they did. Oh, didn't they? Yeah, they did. <laughs> it was a good marketing awful, ploy. Very awful. good. Um, so, is there anything special about like kind of where this is growing? Because this, um, this this Ravensworth um, Riesling is from Canberra, which I don't often hear about a lot of wines from Canberra. No, and it's some it's a region that's gained a lot of traction over the last ten years or so because people are realizing that there's some really wonderful wine coming out of the region. Canberra, obviously, especially if you've been there, is a very cold region. Mm. Not because of the politicians, because of the weather. <laughs> Boring, obviously. I'm told. <laughs> They're very cold. But basically, you think of all the ski fields surrounding Canberra. So what you have here in cool climate is wines that can grow, but you still need a degree of warmth for those grapes to ripen. And the cool climate, which is obviously the, the snow factor, is what kind of puts the grape to sleep at night time. Mm. So grapes are made to work very hard. We kind of think of these beautiful vineyards and this lovely rosy lifestyle where the grapes are happy and almost dancing through the vineyard, but they're actually treated quite roughly. Yeah, we, we almost torture them. We, we, we yeah. withhold water from them to the point that um, we don't want the grapes to be fat and juicy and full of water. We want them to be um, dense, full of juice. And so mm. we almost we almost starve them of, of water and nutrients so that they exactly go through right. this. And apparently that develops complexity. Yeah, it does. And you just think about even like a, a table grape, or even the good analogy is a tomato versus sun-dried tomato, which mm. is something that I think we can all relate to. Obviously, oh, yes. leave it out there in the sun. What ha- all the moisture comes out, the, the tomato shrivels up, but the flavour concentrates. Yeah. Think about that with the grape, with the big fat grape you'll get from the supermarket. If you leave that out in the sun long enough, it's going to start to shrivel up and almost become a sultana. Mm. Or a raisin for people who aren't Australian. Very good. Yes. Good so pick up. Good, great pick up because all of, all, all of our international listeners were furious. Even the old muscatels that you might buy to put on a cheese platter at home, they're dried and super sweet. Mm. So that's the whole, where we're going with this is with yield, which is how much juice you get out of the grape. And this is where the winemaker decision comes in on how much wine they want to make because they're still running a business. Yeah, They still have to be sustainable, not only for the land, but financially. So obviously the purer the juice potentially the better the wine's going to be. But yeah. sometimes we need to make a lot of wine as well. So mm. so um, Australia is reasonably famous for Riesling, but outside of kind of Germany and Austria and uh, France, like Alsace on the, on the eastern coast, e- eastern border of France, seems to be where it originally comes from. Is there a, a kind of similar climate here or in Canberra to those areas? Is that why we... I guess the biggest thing was that Riesling was one of the first wines that came to Australia from the regions that you talk about. In Australia, we've, over the probably 30, 40 years, we made dry Riesling. And in the early years, German Riesling, Alsatian Riesling, a lot of it had natural sugar left in there. So there was a degree of sweetness. Yeah, I don't like sweet Riesling. Well, that's, I mean, it's a general term to say, but there's some of them are really quite wonderful. And it's about drinking, again, things on the right occasion. We don't often drink sweet wine because there's not that much of it on the market. But again, if you're having something really nice, like some lovely fresh prawns, and you have a little sweet Riesling with it, even things like sashimi and Japanese food in general, where sometimes you've got that nice little bit of acid. And the thing is, the sugar hides the acid 
in sure. Riesling to a degree. Ceviche. Yeah, so you've well, still got... Say, oh, it's a great so word. So, yeah, fat, uh, Pat loves um, ceviche. Ceviche is the so best thing ever. Is that, would that go well with Riesling? Because Riesling has a high acid. Well, then you ceviches. think you've actually got the citric acid on the ceviche. Well, I was yeah. thinking a sweeter Riesling would be better to go with the sure. Correct, ceviche. because you've got a sourness already mm. on that fish. Yeah. Adding a little bit of sweetness, they're actually going to balance themselves out to a yeah, degree. Perfect. There are some interesting arguments recently. It is perfect. Though. We should make that. Yeah. <laughs> can you make ceviche? I can. Can you learn? Yeah, no, yeah, I can do that. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, but so <laughs> um, I, I've, I've actually read a lot of interesting things recently, though, about the idea that um, high acidity wines can pair with high acidity foods. And it's kind of like the ideas of that non, like untraditional kind of uh, pairings could be like because a high acid wine, high acid food could actually complement each other in a way because they both have similar mm. elements it is yeah, basically with wine we work about wines that complement the food yeah. and wines that kind of work with the food so a really great experiment to do and we might do this on a later episode and i quite do it when i'm doing a kind of introductory wine training is get a soft drink something like a can of coke and then a chocolate bar so like you eat the chocolate bar you know what it tastes like you drink the coke nice and sugary if you eat a bit of the chocolate bar, then drink the Coke, the Coke tastes like water mm. yeah. because the sugars have cancelled each other out. And that's why we have things like dessert wines that are really concentrated and super sweet. Mm. You have that with a sweet dessert, the sweetness gets cancelled out and you get the floral aromatics from the dessert wine. So again, everything has a reason. You don't have to follow the rules and that's the beauty of wine world these days. Yeah. But there are classic traditional methods of why wines are made and why they're had with certain foods. Speaking about not following the rules, we the next wine that we have um, is super, super interesting. Um, this is a um, Brave New World... Uh, sorry, Brave New Wine is the name of the uh, of the producer. It's from Denmark in Western Australia. Um, and it's the Brave New Wine Doppelganger. And this, this is a... It's orange. It's a bright orange colour. It's a combination of uh, Riesling, Pinot Gris, Chardonnay, and the name of a grape that I cannot pronounce. It's an Austrian grape called Gruner Veltliner. There you go. Um, say that 10 times fast. Um, basically, it's, it's, um, it's kind of a very unconventional uh, wine method that we call orange wine. It's got skin contact that Mark's going to tell you a little bit about. But what do we think? I haven't had any yet. Well, for me, pass me the thing. Yeah, I can. I, just from looking at it, though, I can tell I'm probably going to be into it. I'm into this sort of stuff. Like it looks like a pet nat. It reminds like the, the 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 new thing that I've been seeing recently with beer and wine is this more tart, like sour beers mm. and these pet. And yeah. I just love them so much. So I imagine I this think is this, going to yeah, be this will be very enjoyable because there's a rawness to them. Yeah. yeah, and that's what I get a little bit from this as well. It seems to have that kind of a little bit of element of, of rawness, unrefinedness in a certain way. And this is literally the the definition of where we're going with the funky stuff these days. Like this wine is literally orange in color, but it's white wine. And this has come about because they've used the skins of the white wine when they've been wow. making the wine. So traditionally. Um, white wine uh, does not have uh, when the grapes are fermented they don't leave the skins on whereas red wine they do and that's where the red colour in red wine comes from you find that if you if you didn't put the skins in um, from a red wine grape that the grape, the, the juice wouldn't wouldn't become red it's like champagne is Pinot Noir and you know Pinot Noir exactly. is exactly apart red. from a very couple of uh, different out there grapes like yep. all grape juice is white right and so you find that um, if you uh, if you leave the skin, the skins on the white grapes, it creates this really interesting effect. 
Exactly. And that's the thing is, we, we're only really seeing these wines, I guess, appearing over the last kind of 10 or 15 years and actually really starting to appear in Australia, maybe over the last five. But what all these winemakers are doing is actually doing ancient winemaking techniques. Right. So these are the way, way that wines were made hundreds and potentially thousands of years ago. So, and this is where the natural wine movement's kind of developing from. These guys are saying, well, we've made wine the same way for the last 70 or 80 years, but what about the wine made for the hundreds and hundreds of years before mm. that? So they're bringing back ancient winemaking techniques, which is about open fermenting. It's about letting the wine kind of speak for itself and not pushing it down a path where conventional winemaking always follows a method without ever really jumping across and doing something different. Oh, it's terribly floral. Terribly floral. I mean that in a good way. <laughs> What kind of notes are you getting from this one, Mark? Well, like, what, what's a, something you'd tell a customer if they were asking you about this wine? Well, what I'd say is it's actually got a really nice full mouthfeel for starters. Like, it's got a really interesting palate weight. And I'd assume that would come from the, the Chardonnay being the dominant grape in there. But I guess the other thing is whether this has actually gone through a secondary fermentation, which is what would have made this wine a little bit richer and a little bit fuller. But at the moment, I think it's actually really interesting. It's a really interesting foil or contrast against the classic Riesling. But there's a really nice little bit of kind of sourness to it mm. and it's got a really interesting texture which is where the skin contact side of things comes in with white wine the skin contact is the skin is not as powerful as red wine skin so you can see that it still gives a coloration to the wine but what it does is gives you a really light fine tannin on the side of your mouth which is that little bit of dryness yeah, and that's something that's not associated normally with white wine and my theory is that actually Skin contact white wine softens the acid in the wine. So I think it actually works with the whole wine. Yeah. And there's differing degrees of skin contact. This wine we're drinking now has had a lot of skin contact. There's other wines that might have had a couple of days of white skin contact where the colour won't be affected, but you do get that little bit of dryness on the side of the mouth. And again, mm. this just adds a texture to the wine, which for people that are looking for interest or discussion wines, these, these are the wines that are, that are quite wonderful. Yeah, great. Um, something about the, that I found interesting about kind of Riesling when we're discussing it is is the nose of Riesling. Um, is that when you when you kind of smell a, a traditional, if you've got a German Riesling, sometimes it can smell like gasoline, which is a really weird kind of descriptor. But and then um, there's also um, this one, the the traditional, the Ravensworth that we were smelling before, has an almost rubber like in a sense, or something in there like that. But I found that this uh, doppelganger doesn't really have that at all. Is that because the would be the balance of the other grapes? It would be. I mean, we're talking Riesling versus Riesling here, but our doppelganger wine is four different grapes. Yeah, so it's got a much bigger blend. Yeah, and basically all those grapes bring different flavours. In the last episode, we were talking about the Kerner Claire mm. that had four different red grapes in it. So to compare that to, say, a straight wine like a Cabernet Sauvignon would not be super fair because they're completely different wines. Yeah, sure. Um, speaking of of, uh, of the kind of nose, I was watching um, a documentary um, a little while ago called Somme, and uh, it's about uh, four sommeliers, five sommeliers that are trying to uh, get their master uh, certification over in America. There's a there's a really interesting scene in the, in the intro of the episode where uh, the lead uh, the lead guy that's kind of the most most got the most screen screen time in the episode. He um, he's tasting a wine. He smells this wine. And he says it smells like a recently opened tennis ball pack which is a, such a strange descriptor. It's like you just open tennis balls, you smelt it. And, but then he says that because of that smell, then it could only be one thing. It has to be from South Australia. It has to be from the Clare Valley. It has to be a Clare Valley Riesling. And he was right. He, he got it spot on. Mm. 
And I think that's such an interesting thing where it's like these kind of just scripters that some people are like, what are you talking about? That's crazy. But actually they can be quite specific things. Absolutely. And part of the art form of being a sommelier is being able to describe things and using, I guess, words that people can relate to. Yeah. Most people smell wine and they know what the flavor is, but they don't know what word to use. And that's where your development comes from. And it's about being able to verbalize what you're smelling. So Mm. when you're doing a wine tasting with people, you'll give them a few leading words. So they start to get their mind in that kind of shape. I'm trying to smell this. So immediately they can narrow down better. But you could be a better wine taster than me. Pat probably couldn't be, but other people... (laughs) We could grab 10 people from the street. My immediate reaction was small blue flowers (laughs) and mandarin. We could literally grab 10 people randomly from the street or taste a wine and they could potentially pick up different flavours. But Mm. some might be able to talk about those flavours better. A lot of it's with how you've been brought up. I was lucky enough to have an Italian background, so I was brought up with some really classic flavours. And I've always used that in my kind of wine training as well. Yeah, so I I got into wine much more recently um, than Mark did, but I come from a cooking background. I've I've always cooked and I'm, I'm... yeah, a quite a good cook. And something that I found All is right. that my understanding, well, you know, you know, it's true. Pat. <laughs> Great rating. Yeah. Um, and so, but something that I noticed is that the, the, those understanding the flavors, acidity and, and those different things, uh, you, you learn that when you learn to cook. And so when you translate it into wine, you can kind of understand uh, how to identify certain things that you're kind of tasting in the wine now, but this leads me on. I want to play a game. Pat okay. and Mark. All right. It's going to be wine. Be a horror movie, or, it? <laughs> it's going to be wine or wanky. Okay, so Mark, you're going to throw out some... It could be both. Um, Probably is. But so Mark's going to throw out some terms and Pat's going to have to guess if they're terms that we generally actually use for wine description or if they're just complete nonsense. You just made it up. You just made it up. I mean, to be fair, we do often make up words for wine, but that's all right. Well, hey, all words are made up, Ben. (laughs) That's what you get when you've been drinking too much Riesling, Pat. What do I get? Saying things like that. All right, Mark. Forest floor. Forest floor. Is it the floor of the forest or... Pretty easy to work out what that means. Forest floor. All right, Pat. Is it wine (laughs) or is it wanky? (laughs) It is not. It is wine. That is a pretty regular um, term that's used um, sometimes to describe kind of older cab salves and things like that. Well, yeah, it's actually more to do with the oak that's used. So old French oak will quite often have a uh, dampness to the nose mm. and the polite term we use is forest floor. Right. Because if we said it smelled a bit shitty, <laughs> you just wouldn't read well on a label mm-hmm. or when you're trying to sell the but wine. That, that can also be sometimes things that come out when you decant the wine for a little while, can't it? Because those kind of slightly more volatile smells often um, yeah. oxidise. Aeration is there to, to lift the flavours of the wine and to wake the wine up, so to speak. So if the wine is not great... You almost don't want it to can because you don't want to bring those flavors to the forefront. But that's something you don't really know until you do the swishing. Well, see, this is, I thought, part of what we learned with the experiment last episode, and that it was the shittier wines that you want to hyper aerate or expedite the aeration process in the blender because then you actually get a halfway decent drinking wine. Oh, I don't know if you found that because the wine got worse. Yeah. Well, you like had it. a. Oh, actually, no, you didn't like that wine. No. no. Well, in my <laughs> estimation, it was. Uh, a bottom shelf bad wine that you should do that to. So, so my understanding... To make it just a little bit more tolerable. Maybe, but my understanding was that um, 
when you aerate a bad wine, the reason why it might become better is because some of the volatility, the things that are kind of held in the bottle can go away. They can kind of leave and you're left over with what's left there with the wine. But if what's left there with the wine is still bad, mm. then it's still going to be bad. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Another example, once I opened uh, about a 15-year-old Margarita Chardonnay, and as soon as you opened the wine, it had this penetrating note that was really quite horrible. And everyone instantly says, oh, the wine's not good. Mm. It hasn't lasted. But we decanted the wine, and about an hour and a half, two hours later, that one smell disappeared, and we had this beautiful, beautiful, rich Chardonnay to drink. Right. So, again... Especially with older wine, and we're talking about decanting and treating wines, is that when you first open them, there could be something at the top of the wine, and that is a smell that you get. Yeah. So just trying to talk like visually a little bit. It's uh, it's all about the the wine, how long it's been in there. Even the cork closure can make a massive difference. So there's a lot of different reasons why we get certain smells, but it doesn't always mean straight away the wine is not good, because things do dissipate. All right. So it's O for one for Pat. He thought forest floor was wank, not wine. Have you got more for me? I've got, we've got more for you. What's okay. another one? Wet dog. Oh, that's got to be a wank, right? <laughs> Wrong again, Pat. Wrong <sighs> again. I can't lie. So everything I say is a wine test. So, <laughs> so wet dog, wet dog is often a descriptor for wines. Uh, got some spoilage. It's a little bit of spoilage, but again, it can be the type of oak that's used. Sure. But it is even think about your dog after they've had a bit of a run yeah, through. Yeah. You don't want to stick your nose near them. No. Well, no. it's not super pleasant. So, yeah, it's usually a sign that maybe things aren't great. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, I think well, that's we two. We want to spare Pat no more embarrassment. Well, don't you want to? Don't you want to? You know, round it off with three. Well, it was best out of three, so you don't get a third. Oh, okay. My, no, yeah, my mistake. Zero. Last time was going to be tobacco box. Tobacco box. Tobacco box. What do we think? Wank. No, that's wrong. Yeah, I feel like you're working off floor of averages here. Pat. Yeah, I'm, that's what I'm doing now. Pat, Mark's I'm just going ACDC on the multi choice. Yeah, so, so, what's tobacco box regularly used to, uh, to describe? It's where you get literally a light smokiness of the wine. Yeah. It's, uh, it's something that you might see in certain grapes, like Cabernet Franc, they say it has a bit of a natural smoking. I've noticed to it, it, I think, in Rioja sometimes as well. Yeah, absolutely. And some of that can even be where the wine is grown. It could be near other crops where they do burning off. Wine really holds on to flavours around its environment. Mm. Yeah, I guess the extreme example is back when uh, Victoria had the bushfires, I believe, in 2009. And that was right through all the farming regions. And that was right before grape picking time. So most wineries had to destroy all their grapes because all the grapes just retain the smoke, mm. which is incredibly unpleasant, especially for white wines. A couple of producers who obviously, I mean, the crop is their money. And they tried to push their wines out those years and lost a lot of reputation and integrity because they had these smoky, not super drinkable wines. Yeah. Did any of them actually end up being kind of kind of nice because yeah, they, they had a smoky element? The balance did not. Too did much. Not. Yeah. When that, it Pretty goes back to that fires. strong flavour. When you've got the flavour of smoke, yeah, think about even eating it with meat. If there's yeah. a really strong If it goes too meat. much, yeah, it's, it's hard. I wonder if it was possible for any of them to put them in some barrels and keep them and then blend them with later vintages to make some interesting wines. Well, what you could have done is barreled them and potentially made some fortified wine. So you could have like kept them for the test of time and actually added them and, and made them into a stronger tasting wine where the smoke would have been as prevalent. Maybe someone did. Well, we might find out in a few years. We might. Um, but yeah, I mean, comparing these two wines that we have today, um, the kind of um, orange wine versus traditional Riesling is, is 
almost impossible. They're both Australian. Um, they both are Riesling or have Riesling in them, um, but they're in completely different worlds. And that seems to be pretty common across the country at the moment. Um, so kind of why are so many of these Australian wine producers moving towards these unconventional or, or at least kind of ancient or new and different winemaking methods? I think it's because they just want to do what they want to do. Like there's always been these hard and fast rules around wine, like Cabernet must be made like this, Shiraz must be made like this. And it doesn't have to be. Wine is meant to say, it's like eating the same food. It's like saying I eat beef, but I only eat one certain cut of beef. I'll only eat I fillet. When we all know there's all these wonderful pieces of the, mm, of the animal, yeah. like, you know, the beef cheeks for slow cooking, ribs for smoking. So it's all about wanting to try different things. Again, no one's pushing anyone to buy a certain wine, but these guys want to make wines that are fresh. They break down those barriers a little bit, and it's just wanting to be different. Mm. It's, uh, the choice is always up to the consumer. But it's about literally saying, like, well, we'll only make one type of vegetable because everyone likes that vegetable. Yeah. So let's just keep it that way. It's a good vegetable. That makes no sense, does <laughs> it? It sounds ridiculous. It and not. it's exactly the same with wine. The exciting thing and the things that have really revitalised even my love of wine is that there's people trying different things. The Kerner boys, Unico Zello with Brendan Carter, who we'll be seeing later in the yeah, year. Speak, well, uh, next episode, actually. Really? Yeah, next week. Soon. We've, got, oh. we've got Brendan coming in um, from Unico Zello. To Unconventional talk about. wine royalty with yeah. Mr. Carter. Yeah, we're very excited about that episode next week. And he'll also be able to help to elaborate on why he does things a certain way. Brendan's got great beliefs in the climate and the uh, the region that he's in and the certain grapes that will grow better in that region as opposed to growing the grapes that people just expect to come out of that region. So for me, it's it's just all about having choice. Yeah, totally. Yeah, why not? I mean, you, Pat's have having more of it. Something that'd be interesting for you is uh, coming up in the kind of restaurants that you have. Um, you've, you've probably almost drank more of this really unconventional wine than... Yeah, the wine selection um, where I work, Luigi's Italian, is pretty pretty fantastic so yeah. i've had the unico zello i've had some of the lata wines some of the kerner boys wines um yeah they're on top of it so that it's my favorite thing at the moment like when we get a new wine in that's that's different and yeah. weird and you just you know, want to try it sell, yeah do you try it and then you sell it to people like try this 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 is not like anything you've had before yeah i think people are interested in that as well i think it's they like are too after a little while of of the same thing just like the same old chardonnay the same old cab sav that yeah they're like, and, and more and more got? people when i mention like wild fermentation or something like that they, they actually know what i'm talking about because that it's, it's become a little bit more staple now it's not yeah. this alien new thing yeah people are more informed mm. that is very true absolutely all right well thanks for listening again um both the wines we tried today are available at uh, differentdrop.com.au as well. You can find thousands of rare and delicious and great value wines on their website. And when you create a new account, you also receive a special offer that you can use on their um, massive range of different mix packs. And you can try out a bunch of really interesting wines that you never knew you would like, or you can find some of the ones you've had before and pick them out as well. Um, Catch us next week. Uh, we have special guest Brendan Carter from Unico Zillow with us on that episode. And we're going to chat all about his wines and a bunch of all things Australian wine. Thanks for listening again and um, we'll see you next week. Ciao. Grapes. Grapes. The TV shows we watch say a lot about ourselves. 
like how political dramas allow Kurt to escape from real-world politics. And how Jane's obsessed with identity themes in teen drama. <laughs> it can be tricky to work out why we love the things that we love, and that's why we started the podcast, Nady Look. Bothers me in superhero shows. Right. I don't know why. Each week we pick an episode of one of our favourite TV shows and force the <laughs> other person to watch it. Sometimes we actually manage to convince each other that these shows are great. I really appreciate that it could be super expository without being super expository. And sometimes we, mostly Jane, uh, pulls them to absolute pieces. Hey, you can't just hang a lantern on it and expect me not to notice that that's a dumb plot point to get you from A to B. It's always a pretty fun time. And sometimes we discover new things about ourselves, our friendship, or something about the media we consume. Oh, our friendship. Yeah. <laughs> Come find us. Made You Look is now available on the That's Not Canon podcast network. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 